Luke 8, the sermon is entitled, The Mother of All Parables. And so, if you'll stand with me, we'll begin reading uh, God's Word. Luke chapter 8, and verse number 1. Soon afterward, he went through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Hutza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And a great crowd was gathering, and people were from town after town came to him. And he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Before we pray, I need to ask you a question. When you read this parable, by itself, without any explanation, would you know what Jesus is saying? If you had no divine explanation and Jesus told you this parable without explanation, would you understand the spiritual truth behind it? That will be important for us what we get into today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, the Word of God. It's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We thank You for the parables of Jesus. We thank You for the uh, faithful women who provided for the, 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 um, the Lord and His disciples out of their means. And uh, we thank You for their testimonies, Lord. And I pray that today that You will grant us understanding of God's Word, any preconceived ideas that we might bring to the text, uh, that we will uh, put those aside and look at what the text actually says. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. So, from the beginning of the Gospel, Luke paid uh, attention to the women whose lives were transformed by the coming of Jesus Christ. Think about what we've already covered in Luke. We're only eight chapters in. And we see that he introduced us to Baron Elizabeth, who trusted God for a son, right? Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. He gave us a window into the soul of of Mary. Uh, He showed us salvation through the eyes of Anna, who spent decades waiting for the Messiah in the temple. He recounted the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Remember, he healed her. And she got up and she began to serve everyone. And then the last time I preached to you, we saw the beautiful perfume of worship from the sinful woman at Simon's house. Remember that that, uh, little snapshot of Jesus' life? Well, Jesus, now in Luke chapter 8, He's on a preaching tour. He's going to village after village after village, town after town. And He's fulfilling His mission to preach the Gospel to the lost sinners of Israel. Along with the twelve, there were women traveling in the group. Now look how Luke describes them. Some women 
who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Now, it seems that the demon possession and infirmities went hand in hand from the way that he wrote this. And we know often in the Gospels they do. Uh, demons kept people bent over. They kept them sick. Uh, they, they all kinds of maladies. And it seems like this is what's going on with the women that were mentioned here. He, mar- he mentions Mary Magdalene from the village of Magdala. Uh, Joanna, wife of Hutza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others. And all these women experienced the saving power of Jesus. Mary Magdalene <coughs> had been possessed... <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, that would be great on the recording. Uh, had been possessed by seven demons. Now, one of the things about Mary that I want to point out is people speculate that she had an immoral past as a prostitute. There's nothing in Scripture that indicates that she was a prostitute. That has been passed down through the centuries by, best we can tell, from the idea that here's Mary. Mary has means. And the only way they know of a woman without a husband to have means is that she was in prostitution. But the Bible says nothing about that. And so that's adding to uh, an an imposition or um, an idea that is not in Scripture. All we know is that Jesus delivered her from demons. He also delivered uh, Joanna, who had a connection to the royal palace, and a woman named Susanna. The Bible doesn't tell us anything more about how these women came to Christ. It simply says that they were healed of their infirmities. But what it does go on to say is that these women supported Jesus in His public ministry And it shows us that there's more than one way for people to serve Christ, for women to serve Christ, to show love for Jesus Christ. We we saw in the last chapter that some women are called to serve Christ by adoration of the sweet perfume of worship. Right? We saw that last chapter. We saw that last time. Um, This woman gave worship to Jesus out of her her mind and heart and soul and strength, and they're all totally absorbed in, in praising Him. But there's also a place for serving Jesus in more practical ways, such as by paying the bills. That's what these women were doing here. This too is loving service for Christ. The bottom line is, whatever God has given us to do, whatever gifting God has given us, whether it's the treasure of a loving heart, whether it's the gold of earthly gain, whether it's the ability to serve in certain and different ways, we are called to use our gifts and abilities for His glory, aren't we? We are. Now, we come to the first major parable in Luke's Gospel, the parable of the soils. Now, the sermon title, I call this the mother of all parables. The reason I did that is because Jesus used this parable to explain why he spoke in parables. And he used this parable to explain what they were to accomplish in the lives of the people who heard them. Now, in any parable, there are two steps in the understanding of the parable. The first step is interpretation. What does this parable actually mean? And then the second step is application. Okay, now that I understand the meaning, 
what do I do with what I understand the meaning to be? Now, since the disciples were new at all of this, they came out and asked him for the explanation. I notice we're going to pick up in verse number nine. We didn't read the whole passage today. We stopped. But let's pick up now in verse number nine. And this is what the Bible says. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not hear, and hearing, I'm sorry, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now, it is at this point that we need to let what Scripture says inform our understanding. Because what Jesus says in these two verses defies conventional wisdom. Most people think of parables as stories that Jesus told to make it easier to understand the kingdom of God. And sometimes parables do that. But that is not their usual purpose. Jesus said very clearly here that he told parables in order to prevent people from understanding the kingdom of God. The stories are easy enough to follow, but their meaning is much harder to discern. If we define a parable as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, is the heavenly part that's hard to understand. And this is why I ask you, when I got done reading this morning, if this is all you had, can you understand what Jesus is saying? Jesus went so far as to describe his parables, look at verse number 10, as secrets of the kingdom of God. Now the word secret suggests that parables conceal as well as reveal. And in the Bible, this word translated secrets is often translated mystery. Uh, you find that continued in, in, um, in the rest of the New Testament. And a mystery or a secret is not something that only God knows, but it's something that God knows that He reveals to His people. It is something about salvation that no one would know anything about unless God revealed it. We, we see this, we went through the book of 1 Peter. And Peter said that the Old Testament prophets um, did not understand the mysteries, but now you, New Testament people, understand the mysteries because these are things about God that you will not understand unless God reveals them. And the coming of Jesus Christ and how He came was a mystery to the Old Testament prophets. But it was clearly revealed to the, the recipients of 1 Peter and it's clearly revealed to you. You know mysteries as believers that the Old Testament prophets did not know. Now, notice something else that Jesus said in these verses. He told His disciples that they had been what? These secrets had been what? Given. He didn't tell them, you discovered this by your superior intellect. He didn't tell them, morally, you were such a better person that, that you were able to understand it. He didn't say, hey, you lucked out. You just happened to grasp it. He said that the understanding of these parables were given to you. He gave His disciples the gift of saving knowledge. 
But Jesus didn't give this gift to everyone. Not um, everyone is in on the secret. And so, indeed, the very same parable that gave the disciples knowledge of the kingdom kept some people from knowing Christ. And the reason Jesus taught in parables was so that some people do not understand. He made this clear. By way of explanation, he, he quotes or alludes to Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse number 9, which says this, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Now, at this point in time in Isaiah's ministry, you need to understand where it is. Chapter 6 is the commissioning of Isaiah. And if you remember verse number 1, he sees the Lord in the temple. Remember that? High lifted up. His train filled, the, the train of his robe filled the temple and the angels are singing, holy, 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 right? The creatures. And he commissions, he, Jesus, or the God said, who will go? And Isaiah said, well, I'll go. And this is what God told Isaiah to say to the people of Israel. Now, why would he say this to Israel? It is because Israel had rebelled against God's word. And as part of the judgment against their sin, God would harden their hearts in unbelief. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And so understanding the parables that Jesus told requires spiritual discernment. Now, where do we get spiritual discernment? We get it from God's Holy Spirit, don't we? It comes from His Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Thus, parables have basically a twofold purpose. One, spiritual truth to people who um, believe in Jesus and a hardening of unbelievers in their unbelief. Those are the two purposes of parables according to Jesus. The same parable has different effects on different people. What makes the difference is the grace of God and the faith in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Let me say it another way. Another way to say this is that parables discriminate. God uses them to differentiate between those who are inside and those who are outside the kingdom. At the time Jesus began to teach in parables, huge crowds were following him. Remember that? Huge crowds. And to the huge crowd, he gives this parable and he stops at the parable. The last thing he says to the huge crowd is, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Um, but how many of these people were there to listen, to really listen to what Jesus had to say? People were following him for all kinds of reasons. So we shouldn't be surprised that people failed to grasp the clear meaning of the parable that can only be understood stood through faith. From the beginning, from the very beginning, it was Jesus' intention that the parables would harden some people in their unbelief while at the same time would help other people understand the kingdom. Let me give you an example. Are you familiar with Luke chapter 6? Or, I'm sorry, um, John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is, in John's Gospel, the recounting of the feeding of the 5,000. And then, of course, you have the storm on the Sea of Galilee. The next morning, 
uh, the disciples landed in the boat with Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it says people followed. They ran around the shore and they found Jesus the next morning and they wanted breakfast is basically what John says. And what does Jesus begin to do? He begins to tell the crowds that he is the word, the, the bread of life. He's the living water. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have eternal life. And these people are going, what are you talking about? Right? That's a physical illustration of spiritual truth, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It's not a literal thing, but he uses that analogy to teach a spiritual truth. And the Bible, John says that, that ev- almost everyone left him. He went from thousands down to where it was just the disciples. And he looked at the disciples. So many people left him. And he said, will you leave too? And Peter looked at him and said, what? Why would we leave? You have the words of life. And so Jesus teaching spiritual truth in the form of analogies and parables hardened many people in their unbelief. But those who were truly his stayed with him and wanted to know the answer to those questions. See how that works? Now with that as a long introduction, let's get into the parable itself. In verse number 11, Jesus said, well, let me, let me introduce the parable real quick. This parable is critical for you to understand what is going on with people's lives. I don't, I don't think that there's another parable um, that reveals the human heart and its reaction to the gospel quite like this one does. And so Jesus said that, verse number 11, that the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So immediately, we know that this parable is an allegory. Teens, you know what an allegory is? You studied that in school yet, teens? All right, they're saying no. Moms, come on, let's get with it. Teach them what an allegory is. But uh, immediately we see that this parable is an allegory and there's a direct connection between the down-to-earth details of the parable and deep spiritual truths. The seed, what does it represent? The Word of God. Now that implies that the sower is God Himself or one of the men that preaches the Gospel. Today we would say that the sower is anyone here who gives the gospel to people, right? Okay? So the seed is the word of God. And like a seed, the good news about Jesus Christ has the power of life in it, and under the right conditions of the heart, it will spring up into salvation. But the conditions have to be right. And whether the seed will grow or not depends upon where it falls. What do I mean? Not everyone is equally as receptive to the Word of God. And so in order to show this, Jesus gives, uh, He compares hearts to four different types of soils. There are four different responses to the Gospel and, and each has a different destiny. Sadly, only one of the four bears any kind of spiritual fruit at all. And so the, let's look at the first soil. The first soil represents a hard and indifferent heart. It describes, you know what it describes? 
You who go out and evangelize, this describes the vast majority of the hearts of the people you talk to about Jesus Christ. Look at what Jesus said. He said, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and take away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. The ground on that path, if, if you learn this parable in the King James Version, it's the wayside. Remember that? The wayside soil. Uh, the ground on that path is far too hard for the seed to penetrate. It represents the heart of a hardened sinner. The gospel never penetrates the mind, touches the conscience, or even enters the heart. It, it seems to go in one ear and out the other. Such a heart is not prepared to receive the gospel. God's word has little or um, has, before God's word has any kind of a chance to take root and do any kind of spiritual good, the devil swoops down like some old crow and snatches it away. The birds of the air takes it away. And this explains why people, some people can hear the gospel many times and it doesn't make any impression on them. There was a young man in my youth group in Memphis. I'll never forget it. He, he went through 7th through 12th grade in our youth group and he came with his parents. His parents made him come. And we would go to camp and we would hear the, the most powerful gospel message that just brought me to either a state of excitement or a state of tears. Just so exciting to hear it. And he was bored to death. He heard the gospel hundreds of times and it never did anything in his heart. Uh, I remember his senior year, half the youth group was praying that this young man would get saved. And he never did. Never, never accepted it. And that's, that's the kind of soil of a heart that we're talking about here. The, the problem doesn't lie in the Word itself. And, and this is an encouragement to you who witness. The problem when somebody doesn't accept Christ is not the Word itself, and it's not the way you present it. Have you ever beat yourself up after witnessing somebody say, you know, I should have said it like this, or I should have said it like that. What Jesus is saying here, it's not the way you present it. It's the heart. It's the heart. Um, but it's the heart of the people that hear it. They may be hardened by bitter experiences of life or by some sort of unjustified prejudice against God or an unwillingness to turn away from their sin or simply just an indifference to spiritual truth. Whatever the reason, God's Word never gets into their lives. As a result, what's the result? As a result, their heart is an easy prey for the devil. <clears throat> he does everything he can to keep them from thinking about the Gospel or God's Word. And so that's the first kind of heart. The second kind of heart, the rocky soil heart, is a shallow and superficial heart. Let's look at this in verse number 13. <clears throat> and the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the Word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while. And in the time of what? What's the key? Time of testing, they fall away. Now, what's going on here? If you've ever been over to Israel, Middle East, a lot of places in the Middle East, um, there's rocks everywhere. Rocks, rocks, rocks in Israel. And 
if even if there are, are no visible rocks, a lot of times the soil is very shallow because it's setting on, on bedrock. And I've had the experience of being over there close to summertime, and we're going through, and the guide says, yeah, these hills in the wintertime, they're green. And I look at the hills, and literally all you see is dirt. There's not even like, you know how like now, right now the grass is dying and it's brown? There's not even brown grass. It's just nothingness. And I look at the hillside and think, how on earth can there be any kind of growth here? Well, now I've had the privilege of going in the wintertime when you have the winter rains and the hillsides are green with growth. What happens is the, the, the soil is so shallow that if there's no rain, the plant life dies very quickly. The plant get a, can't get enough moisture and the hot sun just dries it out. And the same thing happens, listen, the same thing happens when some people hear the gospel. They are happy to hear it. At first, the Word seems to give them life. They have a kind of faith. And in some sense, they believe in Christ, at least for a little while, and they seem to be full of joy. But it cannot last because they are not rooted. Soon trouble comes and they fall away from the Christian life. To use the term properly, the proper term is they apostatize. What seemed to be a commitment to Christ turns out to not have been saving faith at all. True saving faith perseveres. Now what's going on in the mind of that kind of a person? Possibly, I've seen this in many cases, there's an ulterior motive behind coming to Christ. It could be, hey, if I come to Christ, He'll fix my marriage. If I come to Christ, maybe He'll help me in my job. If I come to Christ, maybe He'll fix my finances. Or you name it, fix my kids. I'll be a better dad. Or whatever else. Happy Father's Day, dads. Whatever else it could be, there's, there's an ulterior motive. Maybe they're just saying, you know what? If I come to Christ... Life will be easy. Well, guess what? It's not, is it? As a matter of fact, coming to Christ has the opposite effect. Is my mic going in and out? Okay, all right. Coming to Christ has a different effect. When we first come to Christ we may have so much joy that it's easy to imagine that all of our troubles are over. But we need to know that in following Christ, we are following in the footsteps of the suffering Savior, aren't we? Times of testing are bound to come. And if we are not rooted in the gospel of the cross, our shallow and superficial faith will fail interesting conversation I had this week and and last week uh, with my wife. She had no idea what I was preaching on today. And um, she told me that when when we began our cancer journey four years ago, one of her fears was that life would get tough and she would turn away from God. And she was expressing her thankfulness that the time of testing has actually caused her to run to God. 
Because that's what, if you, if you love Christ, when testing comes, you run to Him, not away. I hear sometimes um, people will say, well, you know, Johnny used to be in church, but that, the people in that church, they were hypocrites or they were mean to him or blah, 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 and, and they caused him to run away. Can I tell you something? That's not the truth. The truth is, that was a rocky heart to begin with. And people don't cause somebody to run away. When hard times come, those who know Christ run to Christ. Right? Making a so-called decision for Christ can be the first step in a life of faith, but if that's all that ever happens, it quickly becomes apparent that we're not really Christians. According to Jesus, there's a kind of believing that springs up very quickly and enthusiastically, but does not endure, and it never takes root in the gospel. And the problem is not with the enthusiasm. The, the only faith that endures is the one based on who Jesus is and what he's done, and not based upon how we're ha- we happen to feel at the time. And it happens all the time. People who once seemed very excited about Christianity fall from the faith. The high school student who was enthusiastic about going to youth group falls in with a bad crowd. A girl who grew up in Sunday school goes off to college and starts sleeping with her boyfriend. A couple who went to church when they're dating drifts away when they get married. A man who said that he wanted to get us um, serious about his spiritual growth has fallen back into online pornography. The skeptic who seemed convinced about the truth of Jesus moves on to another religion or no religion at all. And we pray that people like this will come to Christ. And some of them probably will. But the sad uh, uh, reality is that some people who seem to believe never get rooted in the gospel. And this is a shallow, rocky ground soil. Let me close this part by saying this. Trouble is the test of the Christian faith. Trouble is the test of the Christian faith. When trouble comes, the rootless will fall away. But when trouble comes, faithful Christians will grow stronger through their pain. Isn't that reassuring? It is, isn't it? Third soil, the preoccupied and distracted heart. This soil seems to grow faster than the others, but it still never bears any good spiritual fruit. Look at verse number 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by three things, the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and the fruit does not mature. Now, one of the key proofs that somebody is in Christ is they bear spiritual fruit. And here it's very clear There's no bearing of spiritual fruit. It says the fruit doesn't mature. It seems like there's fruit, but it never matures into actual spiritual fruit. Now, what this parable here, the same thing can happen spiritually. Jesus mentions three weeds that choke off spiritual growth. What are they? Number one, the weed of trouble can choke spiritual growth, the cares of this life. The weed of riches, chasing after money, can choke out spiritual life and the pleasure, seeking pleasure, some form of hedonism, if you want to say that, um, 
can, can stunt spiritual growth and choke off the Word of God. And so um, the cares of this life sometimes are so distracting that we forget to nurture the life of the soul. We spend so much time worrying about our health, worrying about a family conflict, worrying about a, a work situation that we fail to give God the service He requires. Our miseries get in the way of our ministry. We've, I've watched this with people I knew in ministry. Let me give you two examples of people in ministry who the cares of life took them away. One, I, when I was in seminary getting my MDiv, a friend of mine was getting his PhD in Old Testament. He was a, a Hebrew scholar, PhD in Old Testament. He's just about to finish. They had a child. He and his wife had one of their children who was who was uh, ill, and he was praying for his his healing. And their financial bills started racking up. And he just said, "Okay, I'm done with this." He'd been a pastor for years. A pastor for years. The cares, the troubles that life brought along, finally revealed his heart. That was 20 years ago. When I was crafting the sermon, I stalked him on Facebook to see what he's up to. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of his name in years. He's out in Seattle, Washington, and it's all about uh, how you can get rich in this life and live in the good life. Second example I'll tell you about, young man who went through completely through my youth group, became a missionary over in Europe. Uh, he's now about 40 years old. That tells you kind of how old I am that he was a in my youth ministry, but he, he became a missionary in Europe. They, they uh, ran into financial difficulties over there and some other troubles. And um, about the time that I came to Providence, he left his wife in Europe, left the ministry, and came home, lives in Washington, D.C. now. And I, I checked his Instagram, and it's all about everything that you can do to have fun in this life. No acknowledgement that he knows anything about Christ. That's how the cares of this life sometimes takes a long time to reveal the soil of the heart. Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't say just the cares. He said the good things in life can be just as distracting as the bad things. It's not just our toils and cares that stun our growth, but our riches and pleasures. You know why you don't win the lottery? Because you wouldn't be any good spiritually. I had to say that, okay? That was free. It's not in my notes. Take it up with me later. But, but think about it. <clears throat> Taking a vacation. Buying a car. Remodeling our house. The, these things are good in themselves. Are they bad things? They're not bad things. But they easily distract us from this kind of sacrificial obedience that helps us to grow in Christ. Don't they? A third ministry example, I want to give this to you, is this one. I was a youth pastor in Memphis for a long time. While I was there, there was a fellow youth pastor. He's about four years younger than me. And um, we did ministry together. I went to Wisconsin. Next thing I know, he's not in ministry anymore. What happened? He got the bug for riches and pleasures. And a guy who was in ministry for uh, almost 10 years, not quite 10, 
now spends every weekend camping in the summertime. And um, his Instagram posts are all about how to live the good life and how to be rich. You see, the good things in life can also reveal what's going in, on in the heart. Now, what we have to look out for as people who are Christians, we have to look out for how we hear the Word of God. Are we hearing the Word of God? Or are we preoccupied with the cares of this life? Are we distracted by the endless opportunities we have for immediate gratification? The incessant buzz of entertainment media always on our phones. Uh, it's so fascinating to watch how distracted our culture is. Uh, when we're on the shuttle from Dallas-Fort Worth Airport to the rental car place, if you've ever been there, you know it's a long drive. And um, uh, on the bus, the bus was full. I was the only person not on my phone. I was looking around. Nobody had any idea where we were. Everybody was on their phone doing something. I, I've seen that in waiting rooms and stuff like that. Everybody in the waiting room is on their phone. have no idea what's going on. We live in a distracted culture and it's easy for us to get sucked into that distracted culture, isn't it? And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you're checking your phone. Don't do it during the sermon because I will make you feel guilty then. But um, by the way, when guest speakers have spoken, I've seen people, I know what you're doing on your phone. You're not looking at the uh, the um, scriptures. <laughs> but anyway, texting and everything else. But what do we do? Think about what we do. This, this is daily that we have to think about this. We, we uh, sometimes will turn on the TV instead of opening our Bibles, right? We will get on the internet instead of having a meaningful conversation with a friend. We'll go out and have fun with people we enjoy rather than reaching out to someone in pain. The things that we do, there's nothing wrong with any of these things. But the things that we do may not be wrong in themselves, but they don't have to be wrong to get in the way of spiritual growth, to get in the way of spiritual ministry. Do you get what I'm saying? We have to be very careful that we don't get sucked into the, the riches and pleasures of this life. Let me go on to the final soil, the fruitful heart, the good soil. Jesus ended this parable with the, the harvest. And he says this, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now I want you to look at that description. Notice how he describes this kind of heart. It is a heart that first of all does what? It holds God's word. Holds it fast. Do you hold God's Word fast? Is it precious to you? Is it, is it the first place you turn when trouble comes? Is it what you want to um, live by and hear and talk about? Holding the Word of God. Reading it regularly. Believing what it says about sin and salvation. This heart is also, the second thing he says, it's an honest heart. That's one that is sincere in its desire to grow in the knowledge of, 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 of God. And then it says it's a good heart. It's one that has been made by the grace of, uh, good by the grace of God. It's a patient heart. One that perseveres through life's trials without giving up on God. 
Have you ever looked back on your spiritual journey and realized that you, you had the same sin that you struggle with that you did years ago? And you're thinking, how is it that I've been a Christian this long and my spiritual growth is this slow? Anybody feel that way? I do. Join the club, right? That's where the patience comes in. The patience comes in in persevering not only in our Christian growth, but persevering through trials in life. And we don't give up on God. Such a heart will always bear good fruit. Because when it is planted in a good heart, the good seed of God's Word grows a harvest of love, patience, righteousness, and all the other fruits of of godliness. Now knowing this, what's important is knowing this encourages to keep us to keep on sharing God's Word. Right? The pressure is not on you to give the right presentation of the Gospel. The pressure is not on you to say the right words, to bring in the right angle. No. It encourages us because we know that not everyone will listen to it, will they? Depending on where the word falls, it may or may not grow. Some people would not even listen to Jesus himself, would they? I, I gave you that example. Of all the people, that, he said hard words and what happened? They checked out, right? So it shouldn't surprise us if they don't listen to us either. But what are we called to do? We are called to evangelize. We're called to share the Word of God, the Gospel. Now, I want to close this way. Like the other parables, the parable of the soils searches our own hearts, doesn't it? As Jesus talks about the different kinds of soils and the different spiritual conditions they represent, we recognize that we're all in this parable somewhere. This should cause us to ask some serious questions, shouldn't it? For example, how am I responding to God's Word? Is my heart like the shallow ground or am I deeply rooted in the grace of God? Are pain and pleasure distracting me from the work that God wants me to do in my life? Am I doing anything to help people hear the gospel like the worthy women who supported Jesus in his public ministry? And we got the Gideons here, right? Supporting the Gideons and giving out the word of God. What is the real condition of my heart? And that's my question for you. What's the real condition of your heart? When you look at your heart, do you see a heart that clings to God's word? Or is there a heart there that says, you know what? Everything else that's outside of this sanctuary is more interesting to me than the Word of God. Are you persevering through trials in such a way that God is confirming in your heart that you're in Him? Are the trials distracting you, causing you to wilt? Are you sowing the Word of God knowing that 
with, you can do that with joy because salvation is of the Lord. And He's the one that takes rocky soil and weedy soil and, and hard soil and He breaks up that fallow ground and make, turns it into a good heart. And so my last question is, are you faithfully praying for those who you know who are not in Christ? That God will change their hearts and make them receptive. Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this parable. As I said in my introduction, it explains so much about the dynamic that we experience when we witness to other people. But it also shares with us, the explains the dynamic that goes on even in our own hearts and how that we need to be on guard because all of us can have a tendency to be one of these kinds of hearts if we're not careful. I pray, Lord, that You will do a mighty work in our hearts, that You will give us a great joy as we tell people about Jesus Christ And I pray, Lord, that as we go out and we share the gospel, that that gospel will be shared with some people who have good soil hearts and will respond and bear spiritual fruit. In his name we pray. Amen.